Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Welcome to Jackson Jackson. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. We have Dan Janinas in the studio today. We're a rare surprise. Good to see Danny. He's looking good, looking better than the rest of us. We have, we have Professor Lou with us. I'm sure he looks better than me. I, I'm sitting here in my underwear. Um, that's a that's a vision, but you probably look better in your underwear than some of us, like maybe me. So I'm just saying. Good, mo- good morning. I have a I have an interesting topic, and and I'm I'm glad Dan is there because I he'll have he'll have some insight into this. I have an interesting topic to lead our discussion that is a confluence, uh, chief of our mutual interests, and I trust okay. and uh, and ESG. I have, I have a I quote from you for the fireman downstairs before you start to cry. I'll forget it. I was going to my truck last night, and there's one of the firemen. I start BSing with him. I go, how's it going? He goes, I'm living the dream. He goes, I don't know whose dream. It's probably not mine, but I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a nightmare, yeah, but it's somebody else's. It's somebody else's dream. <laughs> the, uh, um, let me, let me, this is really, this is a really interesting topic that I, go that right I ahead, go popped ahead. into. So, you're 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 uh, talking about antitrust and the lack of enforcement regularly, and I I I tend to agree with you, but you know it, it's one of these deals where you get a lot of prosecutorial discretion based on the interests of whoever is is running the administration at the time. But a number of people have started to approach the um, the ESG community, and you and I have talked about ESG, environment, uh, social, and, and governance or equity, social and governance standards that a number of companies are, are using to um, pull together under the sort of a umbrella of progressiveness, which is generally defined as being woke or, or, or termed being woke. And these, these ESG uh, scores, the ESG initiatives, and, and they're scored on these, by the way, by, by uh, major investment companies like BlackRock. Um, the ESG initiatives are, are things that, that measure how well your LB, I always screw this acronym up, LBTQRSTUV, whatever that well, acronym is. Well, you just keep going with yeah. the letters. How well your LB, LBTQ plus scores are, how many activities you are, you're engaging in with, with that community, what your, uh, what your minority hiring looks like, what your promotions look like. A lot of stuff that I consider to be mostly window dressing, but but that's what this measures, and it it's pulled up some some attention because the the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco for Bud Light, the Target uh, Pride activities, um, 
Chick-fil-A's hiring of a DEI coordinator, uh, all of these things are, are part of an ESG scoring system. And so I've started to see in the legal press reports from various firms that specialize in antitrust type work, um, a, a movement or an assessment as to just exactly what is going on, the process that happens with coordinating this, this ESG, uh, these ESG type investments and, t and type of moves. There's, there's basically running on two tracks. The first track is derivative actions where you have shareholders who are beginning to band together under you know, what are very aggressive plaintiff's firms uh, to say you are damaging shareholder value by the pursuit of non-profitable or unprofitable uh, you know, directions with, with regard to the, the company's activities and its marketing. And these are being driven by something that is other than a, an assessment of profitability. So that's that's one direction, and that, it seems to me that that's a fairly clear uh, yeah. type of, of litigation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, right. When I say that, when we, I can define you profit a hundred different ways, but I don't want to stop. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm, I, you know, when, when your share price for these people, it's, it's if you're going into a jury trial for these people, you know, you stand up and say the share price of of Bud Light dropped by X or uh, Anheuser-Busch dropped by X because of their pursuit of, of this particular initiative, and we can point to the memos that talk about it. Okay, so that's one direction. The other direction... Okay, but what, what, before you just push back a hair on that, is if by the time, if, if Bud, Bud or Bud Light, I'm not defending them, I'm just saying, if they decide that 20 years from now to ignore a certain community is really a bad idea for a firm going forward you can't judge you know just because the share price dropped next week you'd have to well you could find them the, the stupidest group of jurors that would say somehow but when you said to find profit i mean if you if you go to we take that to the nth degree if you don't pollute you know uh you should be thrown out because you get more profit if you pollute i mean it's a, where, where well, do you no, go i, I understand yeah uh, i i'm what I'm just saying that's that's we're not defending. I'm just that. saying that that's one that's one direction. Yeah. So the other direction that they're going, and this was this was the one that I thought was interesting because it's sort of novel. I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for DEI and ESG to to start waking or those initiatives to start damaging companies, and and a uh, you know the, the counter reaction within the within the plaintiffs bar in in terms of litigation. I've been waiting for that. That that's been coming. I did not see, and really, frankly, I had not really thought about the idea that some kind of coordinated program reaching across multiple companies with respect to their business activities, with respect to their promotion practices, with respect to their, uh, you know, their product lines and, and their, their uh, economic push. I, I had not really thought of that as a potential antitrust violation, but apparently there is a, more than a little discussion and um, you know the actual drafting of litigation that is going to target this kind of coordinated activity among multiple companies in, in response to a, you know an overarching scoring system that that you know gives 
gives these companies scores that are driving that then drive uh, investment. So if you want to get a loan from, you know, BlackRock or or some other major investment house that is using this kind of thing, you have to buy into and and orchestrate your business in a way that matches up to their you know their standards. Well, you just you just labbed into another subject, even though you don't know it. BlackRock's way too friggin' big. They shouldn't be. They, they, they if there were if there were fifty firms like BlackRock, you'd never hear about it. You'd never even know about it. I I, I agree. That's what makes yeah. it. That's what makes it comparable to an antitrust violation. Well, the idea. I mean, if these were companies uh, orchestrating, you know, this kind of thing among themselves, you 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 <clears> see <throat> the antitrust connection a little more closely because it's one entity you or think, one group of investment. You think this administration? Or the incoming, they think, the Republican administration will ever, ever even have the thought, no matter what they do, of spanking BlackRock. Black uh, it, it, I'm, I'm just telling you, the opening is there for, for it. it, it you're, some of, some of these state laws, like under California, has what's called a PAGA, P-A-G-A, Private Attorney General Action. Um, some states allow private litigation in the public interest such as antitrust along along these lines and so it's not dependent on on whether the AG's getting uh, getting political donations from from BlackRock or whatever and, and you know there are there are private other private statutes like RICO you know the Racketeer Influence right. Corrupt Organizations Act uh, 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 that that would provide an avenue for a plaintiff's lawyer to go directly at this kind of thing and say these guys are conspiring um, to violate federal law Louis, and doing it in this, orga- in this organized kind of way. All right, you, you come at this, as you should, from the legal side, and I'll, I'll bring Dan in here for a second. On the side of uh, people running businesses, all right, now, yes. it, it's at some level, you know, if PTI, if I were to, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to go out and have a drink tonight, celebrate Dan being here. If the person sitting at the next table has a brokerage firm the same size as PTI and we start talking about their their strengths and their weaknesses and ours and decide hey we should maybe do some stuff together there's there's nothing wrong with that at some but at some level Lou, at the at the CBOE and like I say the people who were there when I was there Duke Chapman Doug Chuck Henry they were they were the straightest arrows around Chuck Henry's the most honest man I ever met um, the thought of them even making a call to the chairman of the Philadelphia to talk about maybe getting together or something like that or or, or pricing they or if you know if we if we raise our price how about you guys raising yours too that that phone call Lou, would, would be nobody would even think of doing something like that now today nobody even nobody even knows that it's wrong we, we're, it's a whole different world I mean Dan I mean, you, I mean you agree with me or that uh, yeah I mean I definitely agree, agree with you and I actually have a couple thoughts on the ESG I think to the extent when you're asking about profitability, and I think from an investment point of view, there's two two, th- two different thoughts. One is that on the um, to the extent that it's costing a company more to be quote ESG friendly, and I always thought it was environmental. I don't know, but the environmental part, I think, as Tom mentioned, may may have to do with just not polluting or or you know kind of doing the right things. But I will say, to the extent it costs, it's costing a company more, or it's net detrimental to a shareholder. 
then i i will agree with lou and actually know of a case i'm not going to mention the specific company but it was a company that had tremendous potential and they went a little too far in the esg um, hiring process and spent a lot of money and they specifically told shareholders that this was one of our goals although it hadn't been a goal say two years ago when we initially invested and now what it's doing is it's taken up you know not only that the a director that i don't think they need because i think they have really good hr people there but it also is costing them more to get the people in place to to have you know whatever a more balanced i think this company always had a very well balanced group of of employees but to the extent that it costs more at the at the expense of say the shareholders or their future growth i would agree i still think um best man or best woman should be fit for those positions and i do agree with tom on the on the environmental side you're not you know you don't want someone polluting well now, let, me, let me give you let me give you an example Let, let's just say that fedex hypothetically says you know what we're going to invest in an all-electric vehicle force and we're going to we're going to have that by by 2030 all of our vehicles are going to be electric every one of our vans and everything everything but our aircraft and and the procurement of those vehicles drives profitability crazy, or uh, drives profitability down because they're more expensive. Yeah, the cost and, absolutely. And the and the ability of those vehicles to complete their jobs within within you know a certain radius goes down because they can't charge them enough. The, the electricity the outlets aren't available. There's not enough electric power to, to right. power to uh, to charge them. Um, I, I'm sure you guys are aware that there's now a move. Uh, preemptive move by a number of power companies to to prohibit or or limit the ability of consumers to charge their electric vehicles at home overnight because the power companies can't can't maintain yeah, that yeah. demand. Lou, you can't you so, can't expect us to uh, have the common sense to not tell people to go to go all electric before we have the power to do it, do you? Uh, I'm I'm just saying. Let, let, <laughs> I mean, right. this, this, really? would improve, this would improve FedEx's this would improve FedEx's ESG score dramatically. But it would also dramatically cut into their profitability. Well, what? Well, how did, where's, the, where's the? I mean, nobody could possibly disagree with what you're where you're going with this. But where, where's the line? There's, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a common sense line here that I don't. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if either one of you guys, because you aren't, uh, you're not one of the vehicles like me with the trains and the trucks and stuff. Uh, way back in the day, I'm talking way back when uh, the, the energy crisis like first hit. And somebody, and a lot of people are going to say, well, what is he talking about? Somebody invented, essentially, radial tires. Remember? Yes, absolutely. And, and one, of the re- one of the advantages of radial tires is you pick up, what, 4 or 5% better gas mileage because they roll better than cross. What was the other stuff? It was cross something, something, what do they call them? The uh, tires before radial? Or just, they you, didn't, you didn't need snow tires either. Right, well, that too. But what I'm saying, at, at one point, I don't know if you know this, United Parcel said we are going to... Not even wait till all the other tires are are, are down. We're going to replace. You know, I'm sure they took the old ones out first, but we're going to essentially replace our entire fleet with radial tires, so we can save gas at this time of you know gas this and that and everything. And I'm going to say, maybe, maybe they made money on the deal. Maybe it was even, but they essentially made a statement that this is what we're doing. Here's where we're going. And I, you pr- you probably could have put pen to paper. Uh, back then, and said, you know, if you wait a year, if you wait, if you wait till the other tires wear out, you know, you'd, you'd make 
you know, uh, you're costing us a little bit. But Luda was a, there was a common sense to it that made sense. It made them a leader. It was involved in a new, uh, new design of truck, which was going to be more fuel efficient. I don't think anybody cared. They did it in a way that made some sense, you know. And what you're talking about is people just well, doing this stuff. Makes, if you're if you're looking for money, if you want to make yourself attractive to to investment firms, uh, BlackRock or whomever, then you will adopt you will adopt these pol- these kinds of policies. This environmentally friendly or this this you you're putting listen that decision to put that decision to put Dylan Mulvaney on that on that beer can or whatever whatever he yeah. was on. That was that was done in response to this ESG type of, of governance system. That's why it was done. It was not done because they they whoever that person was that that woman that was doing their marketing thought oh this is necessarily going to increase our beer sales. It was done to change and and try to uh, expand what she thought was expand, but but really to change. The, the perception of it so that they're they could go to the again the ESG governance and say look we're not just a bunch of guys hanging around drinking beer and the short answer to that question is well apparently you were well, apparently you were yeah designed for a bunch of guys sitting around drinking beer because because now they're coming for you well you know what's, like, what you're describing Louis you've seen it in Chicago here with the new new mayor it has nothing to do really with progress it has to do with the face of progress Perception. Uh, it's Perception. I mean, if, yeah. if you have a company and you could have ninety percent people that that aren't white working there, but if you don't hire some person of color and put them on the board for a huge salary to uh, and do it very publicly, something's wrong with you. Even though the person might not do anything ever. That this is, but this is this is what this kind of scoring system drives. Right. And and I want to I, I, I want to look at and, and just note a couple of examples so we talked about that we're talking about the derivative type of, of prong of this which is which is fine and i'm happy to chase this i just want to make a note that that as as early as last fall there were there were questions being raised in in congress about god and god help us that's hardly an endorsement for yeah. this position but there were questions being raised in congress to the ftc saying hey we're getting rumbles that you guys are are demanding ESG scores from companies before you will talk to them about approving mergers, and 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 this is the kind of this is the kind of you're never going to get Congress to even talk to, to make that we know that that shouldn't happen. Yeah, right. We know that shouldn't happen, and yet it. What makes you think these regulators? I mean, right now, but it's uh, let, let's let's go back to that. okay. Just, just, just one second. Just in, in, just in our, in our business, in our do business, you, do you have any? Do you have any trouble? Do you have any trouble believing? Now again, that was what was alleged. Do you have any trouble believing that that was happening? No. Okay. All right. Well, Sorry, I, because you know, because I'm I'm involved, fortunately and unfortunately, in that industry, Lou. I know that if if PTI, that's why I raised quad, it this morning. I mean, if PTI, <laughs> if PTI quadrupled in size to where all of a sudden we needed. Right now, we we have people that help us out with our ba- our uh, regulations and stuff. Not that we don't do it ourselves, we do. But uh, if we were to go hire somebody. That now we're big enough that we have a full-time person just to like to watch people. There is no question. As much as I would freaking hold my nose, I would go find somebody from Finra and hire somebody there. That's the game. You hire somebody from there so they can sit here. So if Finra shows up, they're met by one of their own kind. It's 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 happening everywhere. If you don't see it happening in your business, 
and you see it happen somewhere else, you're sort of shocked. You're you're shocked about this. I'm not. I'm not at all. Oh, no, I'm 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 actually I'm actually impressed by uh, the legal analysis that that is creative enough to wrap some of this activity into uh, you know bring it in under the aegis of a of an antitrust kind of uh, kind of standard. Well, what, that, that's you, where I'm impressed. Well, the let me derivative ask you, stuff. The, I've been waiting for the derivative derivative litigation to begin for for several years. Well, let me ask um, you this from uh, you and Dan, because I mean, again, I, I always look at when I say stuff is personal. It's stuff that I, I deal with all the time. So do you guys. But way back when I first started managing money, I uh, I just couldn't, you know, because my family all smoked. A couple of them died from smoking related industry. I could not, with any kind of conscience, invest in Philip Morris. Or anybody. Now, fortunately, I had an out. Because if somebody would say to me, "How come we're not in Philip Morris?" I'd say, "Well, you know, I really can't, in any kind of conscience, put anybody in a stock that has, you know, 15 lawsuits going on any given second, because any one of them could torpedo the place." And the first thing somebody's going to say to me is, "Hey, why, why are we in Philip Morris? There's, there's, there's nine zillion other stocks around that, that aren't in court in every court in the country." So I, I had an excuse, Lou. But to be perfectly honest, like I always am. That was not my excuse. The excuse is I didn't want to invest anywhere where they're making cigarettes. So I mean, I, I I was sort of guilty of that myself. But the question is, where's the line? Where where you know, and where do you, where do you start using other people's scores? And because some guy, uh, well, I, you, you to, know, to my you. to my pers- from my perspective, just based on my limited knowledge of, of antitrust law and how these cases get litigated, from from my perspective, the 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 line is is fairly broad. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of slippage on either on either side of the line, but a coordinated move by multiple companies across an, uh, a particular industry or across multiple industries to comply with business standards that are imposed on them, not for for pro- terms of profitability, which which tends to fragment, you know, a marketplace, but but in terms of your scoring on this system put in place by a third party. And pulling all of those companies together under that effort is is across that very broad line. Well, plus, it's, it's we, on the it's on the you other and, side you and Dan are chari- you and Dan are charitable enough to think that that's all they're talking about on the phone yeah. call. I'm not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm I'm. I mean, there's lots of other there's lots of other things they could prosecute, but I'm not. I refuse to go down your I refuse to go down your slippery slope of well, if we've got one big violation, we can't prosecute any other big violations until we till, till we take care of that big one. I'm just looking at this from the standpoint of, of uh, uh, as a as a litigator, a trial lawyer, who says if I if I can get one of these cases in front of a jury on under a RICO theory or an anti uh, a private action antitrust theory, if I can get one of these cases in front of a jury, I can make a compelling case, and all I got to do is get a couple of guys like you, chief, on the jury, and yeah. and. You know, we're off to the races. Well, look, where do you where do you start with modern management? Look at the companies that are some some guy. He's kind of a odd dude, but he was on uh, CNBC a couple weeks ago about this Yelp company, and I never invested in there, so I don't know anything about him. Dan probably does. And they were talking about how they, they've never paid a dividend and they don't show really any profit. Yet the couple guys at the top have made millions and millions yeah. of dollars. I mean, you know, because they've got stock run up and they sold their stock, and but I mean. Start there with these guys. Wasn't that, wasn't that the wasn't that the essence of the dot com boom in the late nineties yeah. and early aughts? Well, look at how much look at how much money um, Musk has made at Tesla in terms of 
and every time he sells stock for another company, they give him more 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 shares in a bonus. I mean, there's no limit to how much the management class, as Eric calls them, uh, it will take from these places. I mean, somewhere, why isn't there a lawsuit that says, hey, the, the place has actually made $8 billion. We haven't gotten a dime. You idiots took seven. Well, where's that lawsuit? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, and... and it may be it may be that those those things are out there. I just I raised the CSG issue because this is becoming you're you're seeing more tangible effects of of that kind of focus in corporate governance, and and it's it's creating it's going to create problems. Um, and and we could talk about this. No, we got, let's have a go to break. This this is yep. a subject that all kinds of it's very interesting. I think SP futures up eight, SP futures up nineteen. What's with this? Uh, Salesforce, Dan. We had a we had a spread in there uh, yesterday in uh, two seventeen, and it was two seventeen. Now it's uh, two oh nine. What happened overnight? So did you give a bad report to these guys? <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. No. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, right Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tim Howe. Andrew on the board. We have Dan Janitas in studio with Lou on the, on the uh, let's see, in Zoom. And we have whatever we are. We're good group this morning. SP Futures up seven. We were up more. NASDAQ futures up 14. We actually were down a little last night, but now we're up more this morning. Now we're kind of slip sliding back. Well, now we're only down up 11 in the NASDAQ. It's down three while I'm talking. Dow futures up 12. We're in Asia, and these guys have had a, have had a rough time, uh, especially the Hang Seng. Nikkei up 260.8%. They were down yesterday. Hang Seng down 17, but it's kind of a relief for them, but they're still lows for the year. Uh, Shanghai up 7 cents, so we'll call that one flat. Over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX up 172. That's a full 1%. FTSE up 25.3%. CAC around up 45.6%. Uh, Eurozone inflation lower than expected. That's uh, that's they're celebrating, which is a good thing. Yesterday, the market reversed some. Dow was down 134, S&P down 25, Nasdaq down 82. And a lot of this damage happened really in the last 10 minutes, Dan, 10, 15 minutes. All of a sudden, everything really slipped. Nobody could see why, but then uh, uh, whatever, we'll come back the other way this morning. Uh, bonds, 10-year up 2 basis points, 3.66. The Bund up 2 basis points, 2.29. Uh, Japan down 1 at 0.42. We've got oil, which has been slipping. Still slipping a little bit. Down 35 cents, 67.74. Brent down 35 cents, 72.25. Natural gas down a penny, 2.25. Um, Arbob down 2 cents, 2.41. We've got gold, which has been struggling. Up, actually up 2.30 today. We're back up to 19.84. It was under ducked under 1950 the other day, uh, or 1955, and it's back up 1984. Maybe making a run at 2000 again. Silver unchanged 23.59. Copper up seven cents. That's a two percent move. 3.71. We've got Bitcoin down 187. 26,087. It's been pretty steady in this 26.6 to 27.4 range for quite a while. The U.S. dollar, which has been kind of going all over the place, but now this morning it's down a little bit. The, the pound up to 107. It wasn't. Almost made it down to 106. I'm sorry, the euro. The pound's 124, and it was down to 123 something. So it, they've, they've made a big bounce, and the dollar's uh, gone back down here a little bit after being really strong for a couple of weeks. Andrew, what do you got for us? Uh, traffic, weather, sports. After all that. Over with uh, some Chicago sports. The White Sox and the Cubs lost. Uh, the White Sox lost to the Angels, 12 to 5, and the Cubs lost to the Rays, 4 to 3. Over in Phoenix, the Diamondbacks won over the Rockies with a sweep. 6-0. Over in Chicago, the weather is pretty hot today, pretty sunny and clear skies. We're at 66 degrees, going to have a high of 86, and that'll hit somewhere between 1 to 4 p.m. And over in Phoenix, they got clear skies, 69 degrees today. They're going to have a high of 91, and that's going to hit around 5 p.m. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, there's, thankfully, looks like uh, no major accidents to report on the expressways. Uh, all you have to note is that inbound Stevenson and a little bit of the Eisenhower's looking a bit heavy in the red today. And as always, there is that wonderful red near the uh, Kennedy construction. So that's all I got. Back so what do you think of the chances of no, no accidents by the time you give the report at 7.30? Well, let's cross our fingers and hope it doesn't happen. Yes. Um, Lou, we'll uh, burn that bridge when we get to it. Yes. 
So just remember, Lou, living the dream. I don't know who's, but living the dream. I, I love that line. So, so I, I just wanted to just, and I don't mean to beat this thing to death because with uh, with Dan in the studio, I wanna, I wanna run on some other topics, but I, I just want you to note that that there's some major white collar criminal defense firms are are talking this ESG issue up, and and I mean, you need to understand that that a large part of that discussion is designed to scare the pole cheese out of their potential clients so that they they call the firm and ask for advice when they don't they don't necessarily need to oh yeah but um this is a this is a real a real issue and i we we lose track in the in putting on out or putting out all this window dressing for for you know investment groups or whatever uh you know we we frequently lose track of the fact that a lot of this stuff is is prohibited by by federal law and, and so you know, I, I, certain types of uh, of activities like uh, you know refusing to refusing to deal with with companies that don't meet certain ESG standards. You know, a concerted refusal to deal uh, that that could fall into a, an antitrust basket very easily. Joint purchasing agreements, um, these kinds of things, can can very easily look like collusive activity. Uh, well, because they are, are. Because they are. Well, look well, like that, they that's are. right. Collusive activity that fall into the antitrust basket. And so and so I just, you know, I raised that issue for, for purposes there, of discussion. The derivative stuff, I think, is is actually easier to comprehend uh, and and ought to, be, ought to be apparent to people. And yet, Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> Anheuser-Busch, Ran with that campaign that that has really damaged it at least at least for now. Well, they pissed uh, off maybe both when sides. It's really hot. Everybody will go back to buying those cans. But but I, I'm not a drinker, as you know, and I don't I don't especially most of my friends don't drink a lot of of you know Anheuser Busch beer. But my understanding, based on on what I get from the from the uh, news reports, is that is that bars can't give that stuff away. And and that's a you know that's a huge deal. Well, all the commercials have changed the Michelob. How many people are so dumb they don't realize it's the same company? Uh, I, I don't I don't know, but I thought it was pretty funny that the this, when this firestorm hit, uh, the immediate the Bud Light immediate reaction was to market cans in camouflage. <laughs> God. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's Budweiser. There's people that don't even realize what they're drinking. It's it's every every everything you get involved in, Louie. Now you mentioned the beer business. Okay, the beer business in Illinois, you can't distribute when uh the guys at uh, uh Goose Island they had a, they put a brewery up on Goose Island, you know, small those small microbreweries. Oh no, I, I remember I remember when they sold, when they got purchased. Well, but they end up the, the, but the the reason behind that, or I you know, I don't know the guy who runs the place or anything, but what ends up happening they built another bar by Wrigley Field. And now, they couldn't, you know, put 30 cases of beer in the back of my Suburban and take them from one of their places to the other because you need a distributor. You can have your own microbrewery, but if you bring your beer to somewhere else, you have to use a distributor, and they were not a distributor. So they hook up with Anheuser-Busch, which happens to be this. If you go to Anheuser-Busch Warehouse, you're going to find a lot of beers in there that aren't, aren't Budweiser's. Sure. Because they're, they're distributing for people. Well... Of course, the d- distribution deal, if you have to use them and there's only a couple distributors, you can only imagine uh, you trying to negotiate that deal. It's like negotiating with Major League Baseball. Well, you got, dra- you got drafted by these guys and you can't go anywhere else. There, so, a- so, so let me ask, let me ask a, a stupid question. 
since you know about beer distributing and I know nothing. Back in the day, <clears throat> and I'm sure you remember this because you were going out to Colorado at this point. Back in the day, in the 1970s, because Coors was not distributed outside of Colorado, and the storyline was that it had to be refrigerated. Do you remember that? Right. Well, it actually, it's supposed to be refrigerated. Okay. So, so, but back in the back in when Coors was first cranking up, you could not get Coors outside of Colorado, and the the, the official story was they they didn't want to distribute outside there because they couldn't ship they couldn't ship the stuff in a cold enough manner. Anyway, friends of mine from from you know, the Air Force Academy where I, where I was going to school would load up the trunks of their cars with ice and as many bottles of Coors beer as they could put into the thing and then drive them back to Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. I, we always I brought a cooler back from, from skin. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if you, at what, at what point do you violate the dis- distribution, the distributor? Laws? I don't know that it ever, I don't know that the law ever got to the point where, where you couldn't take it. For personal use across state line, but now if you bring back, you know, a van with a hundred cases in there, and uh, and, you, and you started selling it in Minnesota, Minnesota would probably be pissed because they, they're not getting a tax. I don't know. If, I don't know. If Colorado would be pissed. Uh, I, I I hope I'm not telling. I think the statute of limitations on this is passed. Yeah. But we used to we used to hop rides. The Minnesota Air National Guard, which was a C-130 transport unit, uh, used to come out to the academy every now and then for a training mission and they would land at peterson field and then they would around christmas time and they would they would pick up a bunch of minneapolis cadets and fly us back to fly us back to the uh the guard base in in minneapolis at the at the airfield there and invariably they would as part of this mission you'd have three or four pallets that had big ice containers on them and they would fill those things up you know Two thousand, three thousand bottles, of, of course. I don't and think then, that the, they found out that the it doesn't necessarily have to be refrigerated once it's canned all the time. But I mean, I've told everybody the story. I won't, won't repeat it totally. But my <clears throat> brother Dan, who's sitting right outside, uh, we used to work for GATX, and they make tank cars. And when when Coors now has a bottling facility in Virginia, but they don't make the beer there; they just bottle no. it. So they actually have. At the time, I think they bought, I could ask him, he's out there pres- presiding over PTI. Uh, I think they bought four or six huge tank cars that were so insulated, so designed with I don't know how many inches insulation. You could leave them out in the 100 degree hot sun for two days, or you could bring them out from uh, how many below zero it was, and the beer inside did not move from 34, let's say it was 36, it would never go between. Stay between thirty-two and forty, the, no matter what you did to it, for like a week. And they would they they take these rail cars and they bring them out to Virginia and they bottle the beer there because one of the he also makes his own beer. Uh, one of the hardest things about beer and what Budweiser is actually probably the world leader in. Uh, you guys, I don't know if you know that or not. They're they're chemists. They can make beer from Mississippi water, New Jersey water. They the the trick is to make all the water exactly the same. Sure, I mean that every, the, the beer recipe is relatively easy compared to making sure that you always use the same water to make it taste the same. And I'm going to say that, that was that was Coors that was Coors big advertising secret. Right, you know, the idea right. that they they you know, they show these Rocky Mountain yeah. stream pure Rocky Mountains water. Just so you know, if you ever come out here, absolutely do not drink water out of any Rocky Mountain source. 
unless you have dropped iodine tablets in it or some kind of UV filter because there is a particularly nasty uh, uh, bacterial or amoeba type infection that, that lives up here and that will make Isn't you it sick the, as a it dog. Comes from, uh, what animal does that come from? Is that, is that a beaver? It's somebody, somebody, it's a parasite from an animal. Yeah, it, it's it's some horrible thing. But I mean, I was cautioned even when I was going through survival school up here, and they said, "Hey, you know those Coors commercials?" Yeah, you better you better have a little bottle of bleach to put a couple of things in it. That's right. Yeah, I thought you, you could. You I thought you could drink if something was actually coming out of a rack, like from an underground spring. I thought you could drink that, not from a stream. If if I assume if it doesn't go into, you know, well, what used to be defined until last week's Supreme Court case, what used to be defined as the waters of the U.S. Uh, you you, uh, you might be you might be okay. I they just I, again you know we were we were drinking water out of ponds out of streams out of yeah, whatever. Yeah, they just said don't just now, you drop can, the iodine tablets in it. You can do that up in Canada in Quetico Park. You just reach over and grab some and drink it away. Well, it used to be, and I I, I assume it's still true in northern Minnesota. You could you could drink out of any one of those lakes up there yeah. with no with no problem up at the Boundary Waters. Oh yeah, I, I was up there. But actually, Lake George in New York. When you build a house, you just run a, essentially a hose out to the bottom of the lake, and you drop it in. It's your water. Yeah. Do you remember the pants? Uh, we're back to beer. Do you yeah. remember the hams commercials oh, yeah. with the guy paddling the canoe in yeah. some northern Minnesota lake? From the land of pushes, he, water. Yeah, he pushes the paddle into the water, and it shoots up into his hand, and then he drinks the water running off the paddle. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are great. So Lou, when you you mentioned the antitrust basket, I. <laughs> I'm stunned that anybody's even mentioning that word because I don't even. It's, it's the one thing in my since I did, did a lot of. I had a couple of professors at Notre Dame that taught antitrust, and Lou, I, I that's a subject that I, I probably should never have taken. All it's done is aggravate me. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, there, I mean, there isn't. Where where are we talking? These guys are. They'll, they'll do whatever they want. I mean, it. But I mean, it's all about in Chicago now. It's the same subject. Every every program now has to agree with the community organizers. I, I, when did I elect a community organizer? And now you have to have this person on the board who knows nothing to do. By the way, have you told me this, or or maybe it's a surprise to you? I doubt it. State of Illinois, I think, just passed a law that if you have a business over a certain size, you've got to submit your payroll records to them for a ESG audit. And if you don't have enough the right kind of people working there, they're going to come back at you with a fine. It, did, is yes. that that pad? Is they actually doing that, or what? it's pretty I, extreme? I don't know. I, yeah, it's pretty extreme. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about uh, private sector stuff, but in public sector stuff, that's been the law for many years. It's, it's I, I think both they're at a federal over, and state level. It's over a certain amount of people, but still, I mean, I mean the, the, so above a hundred people, typically you have to submit what's called an EEO one report that that shows the breakup breakout of your of your company by race. Uh, and gender that's that's been that's been the federal law for a, a number of years it would not <clears throat> would not surprise me that illinois has decided to get into that game and try to force distributions you know population distributions these are not these are not merit based uh, decisions the 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 goal is they don't care about merit they only care about about does your does the profile the racial or, or gender profile of your company match the racial gender profile of whatever the state population chicago the neighborhood what whatever standard they're they're using and it's it's based on this completely fallacious assessment that 
in a you know within a, a certain population all all pop all jobs all positions in a, within a company are going to be filled in the same proportion as as the uh, with respect to race and gender as as exists in the in the uh, population can we apply that to the nba i was just going to ask that question can we apply <laughs> that to sports as well the professional sports teams i mean i mean it's it's totally it's totally crazy and it's it's been a problem i mean i i dealt with ofccp stuff back in the back in the 90s where they really got the, that which stands for office of federal contract compliance programs and they are the they are the race and gender auditors for federal contractors. So if you're a federal contractor, you automatically submit to the potential for, for being audited by these goofballs. Hey, speaking and, of which, what's the what's the status of this Harbor Harvard case that the his, uh, Asians Asian people have said? I don't know if they filed. Somebody filed it. They won't take Asian. They don't always certain amount of Asian people, even though they all qualify. That that's up that's up at the Supreme Court yeah. right now. Really, we're going yeah. to see. We're, we, we should see. I, I expect that. I hope that the Supreme Court is going to deal a death blow to affirmative action as it's being practiced. The chief, this is one of the reasons why a lot of major schools are trying to get rid of the SAT and ACT as admissions requirements. And the reason they want to get rid of them is not because they don't work. In fact, they are the best predictors of college performance yeah. that, that we currently have. Well, Lou and Dan, how, how oh, do you... Well, wait a minute. They want, to, yeah. they want to get rid of them because if you're using test scores like that, you can you can very easily determine that they are discriminating on the basis of race. Oh, sure. I, here's, my, and, and the here's my question. Is how, I mean, this is why I, I, I love the conversation, but I, I just sit there and go, how, how is anybody going to go there? We're so far away. Why would anybody... From what the theory of antitrust and the theory of of markets and free markets, how the hell did the did the colleges ever get into this game? That that uh, they they provide the scholarships, they provide this. You give them, Lou. In, in a world that was designed, it originated with the colleges. But it, it originated. It's been. It's gone way back. It was well, but in the sixties yeah. and seventies. It was a big thing. Even when I was applying to college, it was a. Um, it was uh, it was a big thing. Well, <laughs> I was, I, but not yes, but what, what, I guess where I'm going with this is uh, it's not all that obvious. I guess is college's job is to, is to provide education. Okay, now absolutely. I mean, well, I, let's, for instance, my my experience. Actually, oh, you're you're wrong there. Okay, well, <laughs> modern, <laughs> the modern the modern college the modern college now is seen as an indoctrination facility to indoctrinate people with a certain worldview so that they go out and become activists and it's to provide a ticket for future employment well i i, I sort of get that but what uh, i'm saying it's 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 evolved a lot since my day when, when notre dame was three thousand bucks right. and and yes there was a certain amount of indoctrination at a catholic school there's no doubt about yeah, that I but agree, the, yeah. but the point being is that if you showed up, yes. If you if you needed some money, they would let you work in the cafeteria and maybe lend you five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. But what is it? Is it that le- that level? But it didn't reach the part where it's almost it's very similar to the, what's going on in the medical community, which which Carl always talks about. I mean, it's here our price is seventy grand. Well, nobody can pay. Well, we like you. For you, it's forty. For you, it's it's thirty. For you, oh, your parents got money. It's but the full set. Chief, that, that, saw, that's insane. Well, that, we agreed. saw that. Yeah. We saw that during COVID, and and places yes. like Minnesota, and I assume I think Illinois was part of this, where where they said we're going to prioritize COVID vaccine 
when it was first rolling out, we're going to prioritize COVID vaccine based on your race and your economic class, but mostly based on your race, because we are going to perpetuate the myth that there are certain communities that are underserved because of racism. And so we're going to try to, this is the equity thing playing into place. This is the equity side of DEI. This is how it looks, what it looks like in practice. We are going to prioritize the distribution of vaccine based on race. Well, if you... I, and I, that was the thing. Yeah, you know, I, I understand. But what, what my point is, is how did... The, what ought to be, okay, and, and the, maybe the college could be part of it or whatever, but what ought to be is if, if somebody wanted to get a loan to go to Notre Dame in my day, I could just as easily have gone to the bank and borrowed four grand or my parents could have co-signed or something. And what, I mean, it, now all of a sudden we've given the college, now they've got like three jobs. You know, it's, it's like the, you know, and, and it's not right. I mean, they should just say our, our price, what we, what we haven't done in the rest of society yet I mean, right now, if you go into a store and somebody can't afford it, the price of hamburger is still four bucks. But if you can't afford it, the state and there's all kinds of problems with this, or maybe maybe they actually do a halfway decent job. I don't know. If you don't have income, they'll give you a piece of paper, which probably isn't a piece of paper anymore. It says, okay, this is worth two bucks, right? And they still have to pay the other two to get the hamburger, like at food stamps or something. At least the job is you don't expect every store. To say, oh, Lou doesn't have as much money as Dan, so for Lou, your the hamburger is two bucks, and for Dan, it's four because he can pay for it. That, that that's chaos, Lou. You that mean- is the that is the equi- that is the essence, though, of the equity part of DEI. The equity part of DEI does not mean equal opportunity; it means equal outcome. And, which, which and is, so the state comes in to force equal outcomes in terms of hiring. What I'm saying, so, I, for people to get a loan to college, it sh- it shouldn't be. I like you, I'll give you the loan, or this or that. The college should just have their standards, and, and you're in or you're not. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be up to them, oh, man, you got, you got, you, you. I mean, when was the last time you walked into the store to, to buy anything, and, and you say, how much, and the guy says, how much you got? <laughs> the, the people, Mexico, the people, maybe. Yeah, yeah but, that's, but that, that, is, that, is the, that is the essence of, of the equity prong of that of that but you mentioned the basket formula. i'll let dan talk but you mentioned the basket of antitrust luke could it be a leakier basket I, i'm you know again that that's why that's one of the reasons why places like california enacted those private attorney general type statutes the idea is that the, the government can't prosecute everything so we're going to give a we're going to give a capitalist incentive to to the plaintiff's bar to, to prosecute cases that we would like to take. I mean, that's the whole key TAM type of, of theory as well. The idea that, that you have, will have people inside inside the, these companies who can stand up and say, or inside these federal agencies who can stand up and say, look, there's fraud, waste, abuse occurring yeah. here. And, and I can, I'm going to sue you on behalf of the government to, to you know, try to end it. Yet, so our that, buddy, well, John Dyer was on a show maybe four years ago, and he's an expert on the the uh, medical community, and he was—I think he said—every single one of these where somebody went and the company went and bought the, the generic after they were off something and raised the price like the next week. So every one of those is, should have been prosecuted. And there's hundreds of them. Lou. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, where do you even start here? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, but but my my point, and I go back to the point I made earlier. The idea that you can't catch all of them doesn't mean you don't catch some of them, or that you shouldn't catch some of them. Well, then, but then you're now you're into this. Uh, which you've talked about maybe more eloquently. Prosecutorial discretion. Yeah, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, mean, I, I would say this. I, uh, 
I drive a lot in the Chicago area. I shouldn't because it's probably too friggin' dangerous. But I, w- I would be up somewhat upset, not not abusive, but upset if if somebody pulled me over going 65 and a 55 because in the last 30 seconds, three people have gone by me like I'm yeah. a stagecoach. I mean, uh, yeah. and I would say, oh. what I, you stop me because I'm white and safe? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wouldn't yeah. say that, but, but well, really? That, that, I have that said, that. <laughs> yeah, said that. I've said that. That could be a factor. I'm, I'm just... I'm just noting that that again, the more of these laws we have, the the more you become sub. Whether you're taken down by them is a, an issue of prosecutorial discretion. And if you want the classic example that that we always hold up is that FBI investigation of those basketball coaches being hired. Why was that investigation ever initiated? Because it was going to look good on somebody's resume. Classic prosecutorial discretion. Hey, next week, if you don't mind, because who knows what better topics. Uh, Kevin and I talked yesterday, and we were, we were invoking your name a whole bunch of times. We got to start digging into this. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by how the, uh, I'll say the the, the, the structure of this name, image, and likeness is happening, and, oh, who's, yeah. and who's paying who. And I I, I think it's going to turn out Lou to be a totally separate business. Kevin and I had a big disagreement yesterday about this. I know, so we'll talk about it next week. I think that now it's you know the Brady Quinns of the world. Charity and Notre Dame and all that stuff. I think at some point, people are just going to be in that business, and they don't care if their new kid comes in from Illinois or Northwestern or Notre Dame. They don't care. They're going to they're they're market that kid, and they're going to take some fee from that and make theirs a profitable organization and give the kid money. And they don't care where he plays football. And that, I, that, I think that's I think that's the direction it's headed. You yeah. saw that article I sent you about Rutgers yeah. demand. The guy said, the guy said we got to have ten million dollars in our NIL fund or we can't compete." So what we're having what we're doing is we're we're essentially having a huge business that does all the marketing that for pro players can do on their own, and they're going to do it for these kids, and they're going to be paid by them. I don't think that that guy's going to care less if the kid shows up at Notre Dame or Northwestern to play football, as long as he's getting something somewhere. I, I think I think that's I think that's True. exactly right, and and we are we are rapidly, much more quickly than I thought, moving to a, a position where our colleges are now going to be the minor leagues for a whole bunch of different sports. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. SP Futures up seven. NASDAQ Futures up eleven. Lou, thank you. Have a nice weekend. I'll be right back, Mr. Dan Janinas. We'll talk. We'll talk some stocks. A lot of stuff to talk about. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 708- 
403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Welcome back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tamayo, and on the board of the engineers in studio with us. Obviously, he's in Chicago. He's in studio. Um, Dan, I have to ask, what is going on in the market with, uh, I see, uh, the stocks that nobody wanted to be in last uh, last year racing up this year, uh, and of course, people wanted out of them, now are wanting in them at these prices, so I'll sell at 100, I'll buy it back at 300, it's not usually good trading, but what are the other stocks, I mean, the, some of the stuff that people wanted to be in, I'm looking at, uh, you know, 3M, which is, is, is these guys have done fine. They're down, right. they're down from 200 to 93 in the last two years. We've got Verizon, which is now up to I'm not not pushing any of these stocks. Everybody knows, but Verizon's up to what a six and a half percent dividend, and the stock is is down from uh, I'm going to say 42 to 35 in the last this year, maybe. Uh, telephone, nobody wants telephone. I mean, nobody wants. All the oil stocks are, are being taken out to the woodshed. I mean, it, it's everything that everybody wanted to be in last year. Oh no, next year's the oil. It's going to come back. Well, it's going to be 125. You got to be in oil companies. I mean, I'm looking at the XLE. XLE was uh, this is an index was 90 90 plus, and now it's 77. That's a big move for an index. Uh, what, what's now? Should we, if if we had the stones, should we sell these ones that have had the huge run and buy the other stuff, or should we? Pile on, is it going to go another six months? What's, I mean, it, it's really hard to deal with people when, if it wasn't for six stocks, the market's down. I, and I absolutely agree. And I, and I do think, you know, a time for trimming might be a little early still to get in on some of the other stocks. And the reason I say that is that we still have this cloud. Um, we're still in the contractionary part of the business cycle. Um, we are seeing slower growth. So the hard, the hard part about getting in now with those stocks, uh, a couple of good names like 3M and, and some of the names we've spoken about as well that have really great potential, uh, smaller cap names have just really been slashed, and yet the prospects in the, in the industries and the management and the low corporate debt and, and all of those really great things are there. And as you mentioned also, and I agree, the, you know, some of these companies are paying good dividends. But I think the cloud that we still see, and maybe a little bit of its lifting after the debt ceiling negotiations came out relatively favorable 
for the market, at least in the short term, we still are in a slower growth environment. We are in this slow growth environment that I think is likely to continue. Now, the good news that we're hearing is the possibility of a pause or a skip, as one of the, as one of the Fed governors mentioned. Um, he didn't like the word pause. He liked the word skip, uh, meaning that there could be potential hikes after June. But the combination of higher rates, credit tightening, those don't bode well for equities in general. And the high flyers have just had the momentum because there still is a lot of money out there in the market and there are still a lot of people, especially individual investors, who want to make money. So when they've seen the names, as you mentioned, last year trade down, they think, okay, come on, we're down 20, 30, 40, 50%. You know, this has to be a decent time to step in. Well, that's the, not the way retail people it think is they want not out. the way it is not the way retail people think they're looking for momentum. They're looking for making money back that they've lost. There's something called the fear of missing out yep. FOMO. And there's a lot of people who are still wondering if they're, you know, that uh, they've missed the game. But the rule of thumb for a long term investor and for us institutional investors is to look at where the stock is today. And if you believe that it's overpriced, don't buy it. And if you believe that the prospects for the future are, if you can't find a catalyst for growth, stay on the sidelines. One of the catalysts for growth, I believe, that we're seeing in the, um, with some of the high-flying names that we've seen recently, the NVIDIAs, AI has been in the media, um, and I think, uh, yes, it's, it's great, it's wonderful, it's gonna help a lot of people, it's gonna help business in general. However, it's still in the infancy stages, there's a lot of costs. There's a lot of um, potential mistakes that are going to be made. Um, everyone's going to be running to it. But the startup costs of getting into AI and also going through that experimental stage, um, how far has it gone? Is it, we, you got to pay a cost for that. So be careful if you're investing in, the, in AI just because it's AI. You really have to dig deeper, as we do when we're looking at companies to see who's running them, to see what products they're in, to see what their distribution channels are. I mean, there's a lot more to just saying, oh, it's AI, and, and let's invest in that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cloud. Oh, no, that was six months ago. Yeah, right, exactly. Cloud is one that's just sort of been overlooked, but it's still there. In fact, if anybody has a small business or, or you know, and, and they're, they're being um, asked because they need to increase their storage space, so... So there actually, um, you know, there is opportunity still in cloud, but cloud has just sort of been left to the side. So it's kind of whatever the news du jour are, the, the, top, the topic of the day, the topic of the week. Um, you know, I do hear AI from people across various industries, whether they be clients or friends or neighbors. or What, what percentage of them even know what people? it is? Not to say I do. What percentage even know what it is? Oh, I think amongst sort of... People who are well educated, people that are you know that have been out and about for a while, I would say it's probably twenty percent. You know, it's it is a still a relatively low percent. Um, the people, it's it's you know in the investment world, I think people are not yet doing their homework, not digging deep enough to again to differentiate between uh, stocks and and where to invest their money, and they're just again going for this ride because Nvidia's done well, and then they're getting stopped out. What's been interesting over the last few years, pretty much since the beginning of COVID, is watching those clients who have their own personal account portfolios really thinking they can do this because they could for a decade. And pretty much anything they touched went up. And if they bought the SPY, 
the SPY went up over a decade. But now, as the names have been differentiated and, and you know, they're, they're not really understanding the valuation piece of the analysis, which is absolutely essential. I mean, you can like the company, you can like the management, you can like the product, you can like the service, but you got to look at the price right. and you got to look at the valuation. And that's the piece that those of us who've been experienced for, in my case, four decades of looking at valuations and determining value, know when to get in and know when to get out. And we don't always time it perfectly. And there's oftentimes other issues, contingent issues, contingent liabilities um, that come in that we don't have control over, uh, weather-related issues, you know, health-related issues like COVID that we don't have control over, um, regulatory issues in, in some cases, political issues. But for the most part, if you're a long-term investor, there is a time to buy. And I do agree with you, Tom, that at some point in the relatively near future, some of those names like the 3Ms, some of the names that we've talked about in the past, like Richardson Electronics, Alamo Group is a company I still love. They do, they're a smaller cap company run by a guy from Chicago. They're, they're based in Texas, but they're just, I think you couldn't pick a better manager, uh, better management style. They do industrial equipment, industrial equipment, uh, including um, street cleaners, which we are, we're always going to need down the road, and they also do agricultural equipment um, for, for farms. And we, and you know, certainly, they're on the brink of staying on top of the EV movement, but not going too far. They have really watched their expenses as they've grown. Um, they're in, you know, the they should benefit from any infrastructure build that we see going forward, and they're somewhat quote recession resistant. Um, with all the talk of, of an upcoming recession, I, I don't think it's going to be anything severe. Um, I think we've already seen a recession, as I mentioned, but but there are names out there, and, and because we do our homework and we talk to management and we dig... Okay, what's what's uh, what's Dan Janitas' uh, definition of a recession? Everybody can make their own now. I still go back to the school book discussion of two quarters, consecutive quarters of negative GDP, and we've already seen that. We have saw that... Um, last year, um, we, you know, we're, we're what, what some other people are saying is because of the job issue, because job growth is strong, because you know the late, you know the, the employment side is <clears throat> we still have very low unemployment. People are saying that that means you don't have recession. I don't agree with that. I think this is a an, a very unique situation we have on the job front. I think there's a demographics. I think COVID really caused a lot of problems on the job front, and I, I'll elaborate on that in a minute. But there is still a mismatch. There is still a lot of people looking for, for help. Going back to Lou's point, one thing I do agree and I have seen is some companies pan up um, to make sure that they have this you know, particularly diverse group of people they're paying more money for it. And to the extent that they're, they're feeling like they need to pay more money to sort of fit in that mode, I don't think is healthy. I think it's more healthy to find those people and encourage those people and do the recruiting at colleges and give everyone an opportunity, but really still, you know, we kind of, we need to have that competitive environment back. We need to have, um, I don't, I don't think that, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I think if you were to look at the average, you know, it's hard to, criticize people you don't don't even know but i'm going to try it anyway uh i don't 
I don't think the average person in the legislature anywhere knows just anything what you're talking about. They don't, and that's and that's actually what the point is because the some of the decision making that's being made from these um, legislatures legislators um, are the decisions are being made from people who really don't have the experience that aren't really on the ground that in fact in most cases don't understand what it's like to to um, you know have uh, work for a company that does not have the same kind of benefits that that a lot of the government employees have don't have that you know that extended um, retirement program or the extended retiree medical benefits or the family leave or you know a lot of companies still don't offer that they're they're more and more are offering that but it's I don't I think those people are pretty far removed the typical legislator is pretty far removed um, from the the reality and I think they're looking at statistics sometimes rather than just looking out and maybe maybe it doesn't exist outside their front door but maybe they're not going to the other part of town or maybe they're not going to college campuses and and talking to students maybe they're not just talking to people on the streets and asking their views well there's they're, a there's a there's a group of society and I think it's getting smaller and smaller that actually is I'll use the term competitive uh, but although it's like I said, I don't know if you and I could name ten industries that really are competitive in any kind of a classical sense. But then you look at, say, banks. I mean, if you're a legislator, and you can get some votes by saying, uh, Citigroup has to hire God knows what, uh, you know, little green men from Mars. Uh, if you can get some votes doing that, the Im- implied in your in your thought process, your insane thought process, is that. Citigroup has has got so much government largesse, the people there are making so much friggin' money, it's nowhere near competitive in the first place, they can absorb a little of this just to make me look good. Okay, and yet, you're not going to go to Dan Janitas' hot dog stand and say, you got to hire somebody who's not going to do any work. You're going to say, well, that's interesting. How the hell am I going to pay him? You know, it's a whole different world. It is. And I think they're in world one. They're not in world two. It's... And I think, you know, I it's one thing. I don't really, in this day and age, Dan, I, I, I suppose it still happens, maybe, where somebody will, will look at a, at a, at a person who's a, a better candidate, either as a student or as a, as a worker, and hire somebody else because of the, the color of their skin either way or their religion or something. I, mean, I guess if there's some religion, they're going to start recruiting everybody while they're at work. I suppose I could roll with that. But, I mean, I, how you could... Why would anybody do that if you're trying to make it? I mean, I, I would never do that. One, one lesson I learned from, from my dad growing up, and he was all about hard work and, and you know, strong work ethic and discipline and all that. And one lesson I learned is to treat everybody as an individual. And then when you're recruiting people, whether it be for a sport team or for, for your business, including my business, just hire the best people. And if the best people happen to fall into one of the other categories, which... Um, you know the the diverse categories and fantastic but you have to give you have to look at the profitability of your business but you also have to look at the opportunities and I would only want to hire somebody who came in because they were the best from their point of view and it was going back to something that Lou talked about earlier but I, I my mind was going a little bit further thinking you don't want to hire somebody that fits in a particular box because what does that say to that person you're here yeah. because you're in that box not because you're the best candidate. And I do think if you do your homework, you're going to end up finding candidates in all different boxes that are going to come to you. And you might be pleasantly surprised that some of them happen to fall into 
minority boxes that oh, yeah. are the best candidates. And that's that's been my experience. I've been very fortunate in that regard. I think the, the same is true with anything, whether it be friends or, or people that you're looking for, you know, if, if you're recruiting for a sports team or, or a college sports team. And I do agree, I absolutely agree, because I was definitely um, involved in this when I was in the 70s when I was applying to college, that growing up white in a suburb of Boston was a, was a, worked against me when I was applying for college, even though I had, um, you know, very high SATs, three varsity letters, editor of the high school newspaper, third in my class. Oh, the, the newspaper I couldn't thing. get in. I couldn't get I into the schools. They, I can see why they didn't want you if you're a newspaper guy. <laughs> exactly. Well, back back then that was just a hobby and it didn't have the same, uh, didn't have the same, um, what do you call it, view as, as it does today, di- different viewpoint. But I guess the point, point being is that I kind of understand it from the other point of view. And I really do think best candidate wins. And I do have a cousin who's who is the dean of a community college in, in a small town in North Carolina. And I give him credit and I give a lot of the community colleges credit that go out to the, uh, you know, recruit from the local towns and try to bring people in and kind of bring them off the streets, offering especially positions that would be in the trades where oh, they yeah. could get good Without jobs. Though that he's like a saint, you know, or, or a missionary, if you will, in, in that regard, and just a fantastic guy. He's you know, and he's really turned around, I think, his community in terms of letting people know, you know, getting involved with the local businesses and letting letting the, the residents know that, here, you have another option. You there's know, a, we're going to offer that opportunity. And by the way, it's not going to cost you a lot to get it. To get, there's get, a serious self-pride yes. in being able to yes. go to work, do something. Yes. I mean, some of these old movies, the uh, there was one, I uh, uh, remember it have you read the book or saw the movie The Dogs of War? I, I, did, I did not read it, but I do know what I do know the storyline. Well, the guy who comes out of the grocery store, the, the guy who's the the big uh, uh, mercenary dude they hire, uh, the cat, he comes out of the grocery store and there's his kid says, how about give me two bucks? And he says, you know what, I'm not giving you anything, but I live two blocks away. Why don't you carry this bag for me, which I don't feel like carrying, and I'll give you the two bucks, and you don't owe me anything, and I don't owe you anything. Right. And the kid, like, looks at him and carries the bag, gets the two bucks, and he goes, now I don't owe you anything? No. You did something for me? I did something for you? We're, we're clean. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, it's there's, very simple. There's a certain something to that. I, yes. I don't want I don't want people taking money from the government. I want them to be able to uh, say, take this job and shove it. I, I, I want people to have... That independence. Yes. That, that's the America we know. I absolutely 100% agree. I, I, I think I've mentioned this as an example before. I have a nephew who is a lobsterman up in Maine, but he's also working on a graduate degree at this point. And when he got his first paycheck, he suddenly something switched. And, and I could see that he's like, wow, now I can take care of myself. Now I can buy that truck I wanted. Now I can... You know, and it gave him that sense. Well, that of was then trying to buy a truck. Now, good luck with that. Well, well, actually, he did. I give him credit. He actually bought a new one during. You know, he did his homework and he was able to buy a new one during the the COVID period. Good for but, him. Good for him. But he's making that kind of money, and he sees the. You know, he's a hard worker, got a great work ethic, and it's been a a. As you were mentioning earlier, it's a self satisfying. You know, it's a it's self preservation. It's it's also just a way of it's taking care of yourself. It's a good thing, and it's a good thing for young people. And I, I get discouraged when I see that younger people don't have that guidance, whether it be from parents or school teachers or, or somebody in their community, just you know, like my cousin getting out there and saying, hey, you know, you're going to feel good about yourself when you, you get out there and do something you enjoy. 
and you work hard at it and then you get the reward for it and then you work a little harder and you get a little more of a reward and that is what makes our country unique and that's is what buys us freedom and i don't think money brings happiness but i do think it brings freedom i think it does too uh, hey uh we have so well, you're gonna be here the whole the whole time but um what are we what can we do as money managers in this imbalanced return market shall we say because uh, you were saying there's companies that you love that didn't work out so well. Well, the Russell is actually down on here. Yes. Uh, so well, how, do you, how do you, I mean, if, if somebody has, say if you and I got somebody with a whole pet parcel of cash last October, and, uh, you know, and even though we put them in some short-term treasuries saying this market doesn't look so hot, which it didn't, uh, at, at the end of the day, and if we even, even if we were smart enough to get in, a balanced thing with some cues and maybe, you know, because they were down, maybe we'd even overweight them a little bit. There's no way we're up the 30% that everybody thinks the market is, right? We're, we'd be up 10 maybe, 8 maybe. Right. And maybe not even that. I mean, if we, if we split above, because what are the spiders up, 8 or something, uh, maybe? And so we're, we're talking seven stocks are up are when NVIDIA is tripled, right? right? And some of the other stuff is doubled. Now, now that kind of so people are going to say, well, how come I wor- I wor- I'm not all <laughs> those stocks? But now the other thing is, if we if we were really, and we put a third of well, we wouldn't have done a third, a third, a third. Maybe maybe we'd have done twenty five percent Russell, maybe fifty percent spiders, and and twenty five percent Qs. Something so just lob that one out there. Say so that's what we would have done, which made some sense. Well, now all of a sudden the Q parts. And it hasn't exactly doubled, but it's up 35%. One's down a little, and the other is limping along. And now we're going to make our, our first half of the year adjustments. The conversation that says uh, the Qs are now 40% because they went up, uh, w- do we really want them at 25 Well, if we do, we actually got to slice that a little bit yes. and add to the other stuff. Now, talking to somebody, I'll say when I say retail people, somebody normal, not people that are in the industry, that's a really hard sell. Wait a minute, you want me to sell my winners and buy more to clunkers? Right. It's a, rebalancing is a tough discipline, but yeah. it's something that we know as, as long-term institutional investors that it's, it's required. And, and the other thing is, you know, we also know not, not to fall in love with a particular company or a particular right. stock. And I think you bring up a good point. I mean, two, two parts of that point. One is that, you know, if it's only seven stocks that are leading the S&P, then look at the index you know and if, if you're going to come back and say hey well if we had just been in the S&P this year we'd be up eight eight percent but look at the index and look at how concentrated it is and look at the fact that you're well diversified so I think to answer your question is staying well diversified is important if you want to go down on the risk spectrum which we have this year we've gradually moved down as we believe that growth is going to be tougher catalysts for growth are harder to see right now you know, just a few weeks ago, we were getting 7% on one-month T-bills, and that was an anomaly. But you're still getting, if you buy the October 26th T-bill, you're getting 5.43 today. Yeah. So then you have to look at the risk of getting involved in the stock that's already run up 30% this year. And, and, you know, that's where, you know, yeah, you have a little bit, you hold a little bit of it, but you hold less of it. And you, you want to capture those gains. You want to realize those gains. You want to lock in some of those gains that you've had and you want to keep some of that because if you don't you, we could turn around and have news that drops you know there could be some news that will will take that stock down we're in an environment that is again slow 
growth and the market is responding negatively to news so if there is a news item for example we just saw what happened with the debt ceiling concerns and even though these concerns were overblown as it turns out because you can always extend maturities you can always and this is what we do on the bond side of the business on the corporate bond side as well so there wasn't i didn't have as much concern um you have to keep the risk level down staying away from what i would refer to as overvalued or risky risk assets so those small cap micro cap names we might want to wait a little longer um, there will be a point to get in. There's no question there's going to be an opportunity. This, I think, right now, it's still early. Which, well, I would have never, you know, the, the market continues to surprise. That's why, after all these years, I still love it. Uh, I would not have guessed that your banking stocks would be down 15% on the year. Your your communication stocks, your Verizons, and your telephone, now T-Mobile's done somewhat better, uh, are down, what, 10 15%, maybe 20 yeah. Um, your your triple M, which has got to be the, the you know talk about the bellwether right. of uh, of any of anything that I mean these guys this year on the f- January third they were uh, one twenty six and now they're ninety three what is it thirty bucks that's twenty five percent yeah and they you know I don't do those stacks other than people hyping the other stuff not hyping I mean people think they're going to make that kind of money. Yet I got NVIDIA at, at uh, again, which has been a great buy, at about 10% revenue, which is usually 10 times revenue, which is usually my danger zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean the, the P.E. ratio, I don't really care so much about that because if you're growing. But if the, when you start getting at 8, 9, 10 times revenue, then then I get really nervous because then even if everything is a, a profit, you know, you're still <laughs> – <laughs> but I, I don't I – mean, I, what you, you mentioned the uh, – we can continue after the break because I want John's opinion on this too – these other stacks basically getting their ass kicked does that mean there really is a problem in america with regular stuff yeah there 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 are some problems i mean the the credit tightening issue is absolutely there if you talk to you know the companies that we talk to will definitely say it's tougher they don't necessarily need fortunately the companies we look at don't need um, a lot of money but it to grow you do need money you do you do, do need to have money from the banks credit tightening is definitely an issue hiring New staff, new employees. Okay, well, no, when, you say, when you say sorry, no, when you say credit tightening, you're you're dealing with the uh, you're dealing, you, banks. You, you like you like to uh, uh, handle mid- middle America in terms of those guys. Those, do you know that somebody has gone to their bank and they normally factor their receivables? And if you know if somebody wants to tweet in, I don't know what that means. I'll explain it. They they normally factor their receivables. They normally have working capital. They normally can buy get short term loan for payroll if the if the big sales check isn't coming in until next week. Have you known of any of those people who have gone to the bank and said, don't don't come here anymore, get out of here? Not necessarily get out of here, but you're going to have to pay a higher rate. Okay, a little bit. And, and, and there are people who, um, you know, one of the companies that we own that we're actually doing additional research on and, and we, we like is One Main Financial, and they do consumer credit. In fact, One Main Financial we own on the bond side. This company was spun off um, as the it was the consumer finance division for Citibank, so it's a it's a well-established organization. This particular company is a good example, to answer your question or go back to your point, that they no longer do auto loans. They no longer do mortgages. They no longer do small business loans. They strictly do personal loans, and they go for a particular um, income bracket. And they and the people in that income bracket, which would be certainly above the poverty level, probably in the lower middle class, 
area, they don't have a lot of choices right now. If they need personal loans, if yep. they have bad credit, if they, you know, and there are a lot of people out there who spend. And I think the lesson of the day, and I heard it from, from several people recently, live within your means. But um, we can preach that all we want, and there are still people who don't, and they want to go beyond their means. And this is an environment where they're struggling because they're trying to refinance and they can't. They're looking for money and they can't. So, yes, there are absolutely people who are, who are having trouble getting those loans. Um, you're talking about small businesses. I think the same would apply again. Well, let's, let's, let's uh, push that off to after break because actually I don't – I don't know if, this, if these small businesses ever benefited as much as the big ones by the rates going down. So I'm going to try and uh, get out of you yeah. <laughs> and when we come back and, uh, and Jimmy and Jan will have some questions too. How much have they really gotten hurt? Because I don't think they've benefited in the first place. All SP Futures up 6, NASDAQ Futures up 12. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
Well, welcome back to uh, Snacks and Jacks. Uh, SP Futures are only up three. Nasdaq Futures are down four. So we did a little dip actually during the break, Dan. Uh, uh, S&P 500 Futures, a little change to start June trading after... When did the debt bill pass out? Was last night or this morning? Uh, during the night. During the night? <laughs> yeah. while, while we were sweeping? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Dow Futures down 35 over in Asia. Uh, we've got the Nikkei up to uh, 60. They were down yesterday, 0.8%. Hang Seng, which cannot get out of its own way, down 17.1%. Per- uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but they were clobbered yesterday, and they're still on the low for the year. Shanghai up $0.07. Cents. That's the best. It, there's a definition of a dead cat bounced in, $0.07, cents, Shanghai. Yeah, yeah exactly. um, Over in Europe, they were up huge earlier. Uh, not so much anymore. DAX was over 1%, but now it's 0. 0.8. 131. FTSE up 31.4. CAC around up 22.3. So bullish in Europe. They have a good inflation number over there, which caused their... Markets to spike some. Uh, yesterday was a down day. Dow down 134, S&P down 25, Nasdaq down 82. Not, not horrible down, but definitely a little bit of a turnover from what we've seen. Uh, bonds down one basis points, 3.62. Bund down eh, unchanged, 2.27. Japan unchanged, 0.42. Oil continues well, a little bit of a bounce today, but 68.16, but under 70 still, up of seven cents. Brent is unchanged. Natural gas down three cents, 2.22. Arbob. Down one cent, two forty-two. I keep thinking that most people are paying their gas bills based on like nine-dollar natural gas, and it's two something. Dan, I guess that's our that's our system, though, huh? Yes, yeah, exactly. Gold down four thirty, but still nineteen seventy-seven. A nice rally yesterday. Silver down four cents, twenty-three fifty-four. Copper up five cents, three sixty-eight. We've got Bitcoin kind of muted here, down one fifty-two, twenty-six nine oh five. It's been kind of around there for a while. And now we've got the uh, the, the U.S. dollar. Which is uh, down a little bit. Uh, it's down 14 ticks to the euro. Euro at 107, and it's down 29 ticks to the pound at 1.24. Uh, Andrew, what do you have for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is uh, 7:37 here in Chicago. Starting off with some sports, uh, we have two losses in Chicago yesterday. That was the White Sox lost to the Angels 12 to 5, and the Cubs lost to the Rays 4 to 3. But over in Phoenix, they, the Diamondbacks got a win, and that's a sweep. Uh, six to zero over the Rockies. Now over to Chicago weather. It's going to be a hot one today. Currently 70 degrees. Going to go up to looks like about 87. That hit sometime around 2 p.m. And you have uh, partly sunny skies today. Looks like a decent amount of clouds are coming in. Uh, over in Phoenix, they're at 68 degrees. Sunny skies today. Going to be pretty clear. They're going to have a high of 91. That's going to hit somewhere around 3 to 5 p.m. Now finally to Chicago traffic. Uh, Thankfully, still no major accidents to report. Uh, Looks like if you're coming in on the inbound from basically any direction, it's going to be pretty heavy today, Uh, especially if you're coming in from the north side. Uh, The Kennedy, basically all the way to downtown, is pretty jacked up today. And uh, if you're on the outbound, look out for the Kennedy and the Eisenhower as well, as both of those are experiencing some pretty heavy delays today. That's all I got. Yeah, we have a question. Um, from one of our listeners, uh, contributor listeners, should he expect a bounce today, Dan? Based on the debt ceiling, yeah. um, I would say that uh, I would say there'll, there'll be a good tone or a better tone in the market. But I think we had seen that start a couple of days ago, not so much yesterday. But I think there's a we probably will see a um, a good tone to the market, even though it it looks like it's it's uh, you know. It, the open is, uh, you know, the Dow is in the negative. The 
Um, but yes, it's, it's, this is going to help the market. It should help the market today. It should help the market in the next few days. Well, the agreement. Jan, are you with us? Yes. Good morning, Tom, and welcome, Dan, to thank, Chicago. Thank you. Does this mean we're going to be a sighting tonight of Mr. Flanagan? There, there will be. I'll be downtown, Tom. Wow. Wow. Terrific. Dan, it take, took you to get him down here. He wouldn't come down just for me. <laughs> Great. Just saying. Uh, hey, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of walking our way through the the, the last few year history, uh, Jan, and how uh, financing stuff has affected mid-sized businesses. And why don't you kind of play along and then do the same thing for for uh, property? Um, but I'm going to ask Dan that say, say for instance, we're you know because Dan likes to deal with the companies that are you know they're not they're not Microsoft. Although I suppose if you get a big deal with Microsoft, you'd probably take it. Uh, but let's just say. It's 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 the Flanagan Plumbing Company, and he's a it's a big place. Now he's got you know 50 trucks and blah blah blah, advertises all the time. I'm going to say that once in a while, especially if there's a big job, uh, where maybe he has to provide all the material for something for six months or a year before he gets paid, because uh, they push sometimes the financing down the chain with these big jobs, right? Uh, so John's going to go to his local bank, whoever he uses, and and he's going to get a rate because he's been there forever, and uh, now. At some point in the last few years or the last five years, the, the big schmucks were able to get some of this money at two, two and a half percent. I, I don't think Jan ever did. Did he, Dan? He was he always six, six and a half, seven for that kind of, or maybe five. What, what's the best he ever got? It, 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 in this yeah, I hear, hear what you're saying. It was certainly higher, probably between five and seven in in, in past years. And it, again, it would depend on his particular business's uh, credit and his credit. So uh, I would say five to seven, as opposed to as you were alluding to earlier, like two to three for like some of the larger, um, more you know, better capitalized companies. Okay, so now in the last year, maybe the last six months, as you've alluded to, uh, some of that is quote tightened with some of the banks. So even though their reserve requirements still zero, so they haven't really officially tightened much. But so now Jan goes in for the same loan. He still has never missed a payment. His company's making dough. Is he paying appreciably more? Because he didn't benefit that much before. Now, is he, they're not going to hit him up for like 15 now, are they? Or they're not going to tell him to go away. Is, is his life changed that much when you say it's getting tighter? Is, it, is he now talking 6.5 versus 5.5, or is it 12 versus 2? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm asking a question. It might be someplace like 9. Really? You know, it might be, yeah, it may have gone up. And, again, it depends on the institution. Um, where where he has his money? If you're talking about a you know a local, but he's not getting a flat out no. Get out of here! Don't no, I, no, no, no. He would not be getting a no at that at this point. The the people who are get the 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 people who are getting the no's are people that have had credit history. The people who have overinvested, or the people who have spent um, too much, or the people who are in industries that are that are under pressure. You know, he's a plumber, so there's still a lot of demand for plumbers. Um, I think that if you look at the credit as a whole, they're they're there's not going to be as much issue if he was in a business a different business um uh he may either be uh, facing a much higher um rate or they there there could possibly be a no for certain certain businesses and you know maybe something in the retail sector or maybe something in the um you know if it was a small company having the looking at having to pay a lot more in rent um you know there was uh there's a couple situations i know i have a family member who started a business in the city in New York City uh, recently, and they came up with um, they were faced with being in the wrong place at the wrong time, paying too much at the top of the market 
for rent and then you know the business did not make make out that well and they were looking for alternative forms of um financing and and as as um as gung-ho as they were to try to find them that it is extremely challenging well i have a I know of, I'm not a searcher out of putting people together in this stuff, but I know of a a business that is totally turnkey, um, growing, making dough, you're buying a whole bunch of property, you're buying equipment, and say the asking price is six mil or something, which is about where it is. So if, you know, a guy like Mr. Flanagan let loose the, 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 the the little wallet and he pops up with two million and he goes to the bank for the other four, in, th- in today's world, what's he going to pay for that for a company that actually, you know, is making dough and he's putting up thirty percent of it or thirty-three percent? What's what's his number? Do you have any idea? If if it was in the four percent range, I'm going to go to like seven or eight percent. So he's going to have to pay that to buy this place. Yeah, it is, absolutely, um, okay. absolutely. And, I, and, and in fact, in in a couple of situations, I know people who are looking for people who are very well capitalized, um, you know, very good incomes. Um, who were chal- you know were, were facing much much higher rates you know partly because interest rates have gone up partly because credit is tightened so you have you have sort of two things working against you as either a small business owner or say as a young family or, or a newlywed family that's you know looking for a mortgage or looking to move to the next category on top of all that which we all know you guys know as well is we're also looking at pricing that's very high so although chicago may be a little different and you guys can tell me um i know being in the northeast recently you know there has not been any sell-off in home prices for example and commercial real estate seems to be thriving boston has always done a fantastic job of repurposing buildings so if it was a retail space in the past now they've they've made it multifamily. if you know if it was a church in the past they had made it um condos i mean so that so there are because of the limited amount of available real estate they just aren't seeing it there in particular they're not seeing any um you know issues you know they're actually paying employees more still you know wages are going up very quickly home prices have not sold off at all in fact in 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 some cases i think they're said they're up as much as seven percent over the past year so um, that price. That's a lot of that is uh, nobody, nobody can out of their other place because of the mortgage difference. Right, and that's the, that's the challenge right now. And, and that price, that higher price, that it becomes a sticking point for for. Um, well, Jan, what would for John's uh, business or for anyone's business? Jan, what would somebody? How would you even go about getting the financing for like one of these downtrodden downtown buildings? If you say, okay, thing was worth you know four hundred million, and it's down. They, you know, people walked, and their equity is the loans two fifty. If you walk in and say, you know what, I'll I'll, I'll take a shot, um, I'll pay two hundred or something, and uh, and the guy's the guy goes, yeah, and I've got thirty in my pocket. Who the hell is going to lend me the other one seventy, and how much am I going to pay? Do you have any idea? No, one of the one of the problems, Tom, I think, is that you know, there's there's so many properties in this boat that that makes this kind of an unprecedented situation. I think for banks and for developers. To kind of get a sense of where they, they stand in all of this and what what the kind of risk can they really afford to take on i guess on the plus side there's enough movement say in chicago to have a bunch of properties put into a kind of a box and saying this is commercial real estate you know retail office space that we have decided is no longer going to be viable as retail office space so we're converting it to residential space and there's enough of these buildings where 
whatever the trend is, you, you can expect there to be a trend and there's going to be similar buildings in similar situations into the future. So it isn't like a, this is a one-off where somebody's really taking a risk or, or a pig and a poke to put money into it. So I guess that, that sort of lessens the possibility that you can't, you know, you, you won't get shut out of the lending market because of a, of a plan you have to, to read it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> buy any, any city plan because when you, when you start going... I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. need to tell. But I, I just, I think that what I see happening in my own block here in Chicago, I mean, there's at least one property, maybe two, I'm not sure yet because I haven't gossiped enough with the neighbors, I guess. But one deal fell through because they, 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 the thing was under contract. There's a mortgage contingency and the borrower, the prospective borrower, ended up being unable to qualify for the mortgage because of the, you know, the jump in rates. And what looked good, you know, three or four months ago, it doesn't look good at all now. Oh, what so that it could, it could be double. It and, could be double. The deal has recently closed with a completely different purchaser, so there is, you know, this property did sell eventually, but you know, it's, it's been a kind of a, you know, a tense time for the owner to see whether this is going to happen or not. And to me, all of this stuff, like like Dan was describing, with you know, tightened lending standards, this is a harbinger of recession. I think of, of the clearest kind, and yet. By all you know appearances, we've been in a recession for a while anyway. But the fact that we've now got sort of a classic marker of recession, you know, where it's going to be harder for businesses to expand, to, to do anything, you know, to get any kind of a free, you know, or, or cheap credit to do whatever their their business plan tells them they could do in normal times. I think we're we're looking at, at a, a recession that's sort of baked into the system, and it's going to unfold in kind of grinding. You know, steps, and none of which is you know good for the short term or the long term. But I feel we're we're headed down that pike, and I I just don't know what's going to turn it around. Well, the inflation and that's part. different from what you were saying, Dan. So I, you know, I I don't I don't know. I, I'd like to see that not be the case, but the markers to me are really distressing. Well, we're not we're not talking about. I'm going to dive too much into the Chicago thing. We'll talk about that more on Monday, Jan. But uh, it's one thing to say. We're going to take this these one or two buildings, and oh, by the way, they're going to be real high-end. Uh, people are going to live there. They're going to be condos, by the way. We're going to make a huge health club there. We're going to have great parking. It's going to be a place where anybody ascribes to live, and oh, by the way, you're down the block from work. That's uh, not what they're talking about. They're talking about serious public housing. We're talking about, you know, no, nobody's going to want a law firm next to Cabrini Green. I mean, you got to be careful of the message. Yeah, <laughs> it can be done. It can be done like in New York, where where you, where you got you know some high end condos block away from the law firm. You can't you can't do it if it's just, you know. If, I mean, I don't know. How, the the plan has to be whatever it is, and I'm not smart enough to do that. But I, it, the whole thing uh, is makes everything has to coordinate, John. And if it doesn't, I don't I don't think a lot of the people in office have any idea the risk that firms take on when they. What's the minimum if you get a build out for a law firm? Jen's an attorney. If you get a build out for a law firm where all your files are in all down the hallways and hardwood and make it look like they're not even files and all that kind of stuff, for you to get that multi million dollar build out, what's the lease? It's got to be 20 years, 15. It's got to be at least that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And if I were you know running one of those firms now, I would be. Putting all that stuff, whether it's stuff from my archives or you know, stuff that isn't you know used daily, I'd be getting you know 
a storage locker yeah. or cheap space somewhere way off site yes. and get my office space needs down to an absolute minimum. And when I said before, Tom, that you know there are a lot of these buildings that are being packaged together, um, you know, with the same kind of intention of converting them to, you know, housing, low low income housing, whatever. I just think that means there's a possibility of getting financing to do this. I think the whole thing is going to be a complete failure, though. I mean, the fact that you're going to get money to do it doesn't mean that it's going to work. It just means that you're going to be digging bigger holes for these buildings and making it harder to turn anything around. After all, if if this stuff becomes housing in downtown Chicago, the people living in those apartments that used to be offices are not going to be working in offices downtown. They're very likely not going to be working at all. They're working in, in jobs that couldn't sustain the kind of living that they've been given because we'll all be subsidized or there'll be giveaways or set-asides or whatever to make it happen. But it isn't like you're going to make the loop in Chicago a viable you know, workspace. It's going to have the exact opposite effect. It will not even be a viable living space by the time we're through. Well, I mean, I think if you if you were to keep it high-end enough and you, and you move a company here from, you know, you, you entice somebody to come here, why they would, I don't know. But if, if they show up and they've got you know, 3,000 people downtown in an office, and by the way, there's some really nice living quarters two blocks away downtown to either rent or whatever until you find out where you want to go. I, I could see that as being a plus. Well, and, and, and it did work well for a long time. You know, as all these, you know, office buildings, the older ones in the South Loop started to get sold off for housing, you had a lot of people who were either yes. former Loop workers or they were, you know, suburbanites who were now retired and they had some money to throw around. And they wanted a nice pay to tear in the city because they they thought it would be fun to be, live downtown and do things that they couldn't do before when they lived you know 20 30 miles away and there's a commute but i think the gloss is off of that now because the loop is not as interesting a space after hours as it used to be no it, it's, doesn't, it's not interesting at all ahead, doesn't Dan. some of this have to do also with the price point so in other words the building you're talking about john that you know, where the financing fell through for the first investor and then someone came in after it. Well, when someone comes in after it, are they paying a lower price? I mean, is that the trend that, you know, because the, the, the first investor had trouble and then are there going to still be investors behind that first investor or will there be investors but at a certain price point? So there may be a company that is willing to relocate its its law firm from the suburbs into the city there might be people who decide, okay, now there's, you know, th- I think this is a fantastic city, so it, you know, there might be other people that think it is as well and decide, hey, like, it's time, but it's at the right price. I'm willing to do that. Very, it, very much so, Dan. I, and I think, you know, that's, that's going to put tremendous pressure um, on, on, you know, people who are looking at the pricing end of it because it's that air trigger. It's that close yes. to the bone for a lot of people. Yes. They don't want to take the plunge. Um, at you know this amount versus that amount, and I think that's got a cascading effect once that starts to move in the wrong direction, and you got people who, you know, as rates continue to, to climb for them, and I think it's it's going to get worse. It's not yes. going to get better before it gets worse. Absolutely. You're going to see a lot of other people who are spooked and are, and are you know, not willing to take the plunge, and they'll do something else with that money. They won't go to Chicago or some other big city. They'll put it somewhere else. Well, what's how, how far? You guys keep mentioning the recession. Uh, I'm going to lob a quick one out there, and then want the end of comment. Uh, I, I think the inf- inflation, which I maybe foolishly thought had subsided six months ago in terms of the rate, <laughs> but I, I, I sort of forgot about Dan. Is it some of the stuff that you need? Since so many companies now we deal with are monopolists, the yeah. the rates that are piling through on your 
electric bill, electric phone bill, bill yeah. those kinds of things, they're just starting to go up because they, they, yeah. they, they I mean, even though I think the actual monetary push behind it has kind of stopped, it's because of the long lead times for some of these prices to go up, it's just pushing on its way up. I mean, how I think on an individual level, a huge percentage of the population are going to be in a are, are going to be or already in a personal recession, maybe pushing towards depression. Um, some some of the issues we're seeing to, that just go into your point that we're seeing in Florida is a lot of people on fixed incomes, and their biggest complaint isn't necessarily you know they they own their property outright, but the HOA fee if they're in a condo has gone up because of insurance. Um, utilities being both water and electric have gone up. Um, considerably those month-to-month expenses you know forget about food and 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 all the other you know day-to-day expenses you have those are squeezing people and pushing them out now going back to real estate one thing that they've done in my area which actually does make a lot of sense and is productive for the economy is what they refer to in the commercial real estate world as affordable housing not government subsidized but maybe smaller units um, you know there's a within a week um, not far from where I live, there was a what I would refer to as a what would be like a trailer park or a mobile home park. But now the units are like tiny homes. We're not talking it, double wides anymore. No, we're not talking double wides. We're not even talking single wides. We're God. talking half wides or maybe three quarter wides. But what what encourages me about that and what I like about the quote affordable, not government subsidized, but affordable, is it provides a place for those people in the entry level positions those younger kids that have moved from the, the expensive cities up north that want to get started in Florida, the retired people that are on a fixed income, the workers at the grocery store or at Walmart now can have their own space and they don't need to look for any assistance elsewhere. That trend has been big in our area because the lack there's been a lack of what we refer to as affordable housing, not government subsidized, but affordable. So not like when uh, Jan was uh, nice enough to get me the census stuff for my family, so there wasn't wasn't seven people living in a, uh, a very tiny bungalow. Well, that's what was happening um, actually. With you know, I personally was dealing with that situation on the other coast of Florida, where where we had ten people living in a two bedroom townhouse um, illegally, and and that is I think what they're trying to do, at least in my part of the world in Florida, is suddenly say, okay, your one family can afford this one place. And have your own space, and you don't have to violate any, you know, issues of, of overcrowding or, or or that sort of thing. So rather than having four families living in a four-bedroom um, house, which I've seen as well, um, now you have a much smaller house, but it can, but it's new, and it can, and and they can support. And then going back to your thing about self-sufficiency and feeling good about you know providing for your family and all of that, now you have a starting point. Um, and as prices come down, they can probably move into the next level. So, but if I was, I think it depends on which way you go. We we'll got a quick comment on Jan. If if if, if Jan and I were young uh, and we wanted to see, well, God, there's nothing but building going on in Florida. For us to go down and rent one of those things just as a place to sleep, while we we make we working 12 hours a day as a carpenter, making 50 bucks an hour and, and making a bunch of dough and enjoying ourselves. At that at that level, I think it's a great idea, but. The idea that somebody had a place, and because people lied to them about the inflation, oh, right. their, their pensions just keep strangling them to where they end up there. That's not the direction you want to go. No, in fact, right. those people are actually moving out of the state. Right. Those people are actually moving to other places that are affordable, whether it be Alabama, Georgia, 
back up north if they grew up you know someplace um, up north or if they had family or friends up north so so that you're, you're exactly right on that one other, I think you know oh. some of the plans that they have for development of, of loop uh, real estate into housing uh, it's really like an extension of college living Thing. Yes. But it's going to be yes. communal, you know, kitchen facilities or yes. bathroom facilities. It's it's perfectly okay for single people yes. or maybe couples without children to live that way. But it's not going to work when they want, you know, to right. have a backyard part of some kind or or get away from the people that you know are living in the room next door that they cannot stand. Right. Um. They're, they're going to move on and hopefully move up. But I don't know if there's going to be any place they can move up. You know, where they were, let's say in downtown Chicago, they're going to have to be back in the market com competing for houses like a lot of other people, and I think those are going to be pretty much out of sight. Well, Jan, if we get hired in New York for consultants for six months, what do we need? A studio and a decent kitchen, a health club and a building and a bar, and we're working all the time anyway. What's the difference? There you go. Even what, what qualifies for a studio in New York, I, I don't think I ever could have lived in. Oh, yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not into the Murphy bed. I can't do the Murphy bed. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I had an apartment with a Murphy bed, my first apartment. Though. Oh, God. The bed was I had long a studio. Gone. My first was a studio as well. Yeah. It's well, studios here are pretty good size. I mean, the building I lived in was, you know, you could easily live in one of those, but. Not in Boston. Because they, they had full kitchens in these studios. I don't think oh. any yours didn't have a full kitchen. No. It's a, it's a stove about three inches wide. Exactly. Oh, God. Well, Dan, thank you for coming in. Jan, we'll sure. see you tonight, buddy. Yep. Uh, looking forward, forward to it. To it. Uh, SP Futures down a quarter, and ASA Futures down five bucks. So, so far, not much going on. I'll be back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.